Uh, the passage we're looking at for this morning from the Bible is from the book of 1 Corinthians in the New Testament. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. Uh, the verses will come up on screen and Kia is going to help uh, read it out for us. This, then, is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Kia. What is the fulcrum on which we are building our lives? What is that one overwhelming desire or motivation that is really driving our lives? If you're fresh out of college and in your early 20s, you're probably really keen to find a job and, and, and start building your career. That's, that's probably what's on top of your mind. Uh, if you're in your mid to late 20s, you're quite likely trying to find your feet trying to figure out your career, trying to figure out your financial independence. And, and more than that, you're trying to find out your unique place and identity in the world through your career. You are truly adulting. That's probably what's driving you the most. If you're in your 30s, you've, you've probably already had a little bit of career success and, and you're longing for more, probably thinking about marriage. Perhaps you're already married. Uh, you're really investing yourself in more success. And as you're experiencing more and more success, you're also searching for, for comfort and the good things in life. So success and comfort become important to us. As we move into our 40s, you probably have kids. They're growing up fast. Providing for them, caring for them is perhaps top of your mind. In your 50s, you're probably planning for your retirement and uh, making sure that your kids are doing well. That becomes the biggest goal in life. And so on and so forth. Different seasons, different goals, different things that become our one big and overwhelming desire or motivation. None of these goals are bad, but our lives cannot merely be a sum total of these goals and yet we all do tend to measure our lives by how well we're faring in these goals in different seasons of our lives and so we give ourselves to chasing 
after these never-ending goals. The passage that we just read, and one specific verse in this passage, challenges every one of these narratives. And that verse is verse 2. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. As we begin a new year, I'm calling all of us, and I'm calling myself too, to build our lives on this fulcrum of being faithful to Christ Jesus in all that we do. What if, what if being faithful to Christ becomes our fiercest ambition, our strongest desire, and our deepest longing? Starting from 2022, what if we start seeing all of our lives through this one prism of being faithful to Christ Jesus in all that we do? As, as I waited on God for, for a theme to begin 2022 with, the one big idea, the one big thought that kept coming to my mind is, is this whole idea of faithfulness. Faithfulness. And I trust this is, this is the guidance of the Holy Spirit for me personally and for all of us. Faithfulness. What if we think about just being faithful to Christ Jesus as the most important thing for us to live, for us to do and be in 2022 and beyond? And so I'd like to draw three things out for us from this passage. The importance of faithfulness, what faithfulness actually looks like, and why we slip in our faithfulness and the cure for it. The importance of faithfulness, what faithfulness actually looks like, why we sometimes, quite often actually, slip up in our faithfulness and the cure for it. Let's start off with the first thing, the importance of faithfulness. The passage we're looking at definitely calls us to faithfulness to Christ Jesus. Now it is required that those of you who have been given a trust must prove faithful. What is this trust that has been given to us? This trust that, that has been given to us is our life itself that has been redeemed by Christ Jesus. And so we are called to be faithful in all of our life. But the sad reality is that in the busyness of everyday life, especially in, like, in a city like Mumbai, faithfulness is functionally almost forgotten. We all know we need to be faithful to Christ in all we do. We even agree that we need to be faithful, but functionally, each of us, myself first, we are perhaps not as faithful as we, as we ought to be. Think about it. How many of us, how many times wake up every morning thinking, I'm going to be faithful to Jesus in all that I do this morning or this day? Faithfulness 
is so often forgotten. The reality is that without faithfulness, we are truncating the gospel. The gospel is the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. We all believe that Jesus was crucified to death on a cross and rose again from the dead to bear the punishment for all of our sins upon himself. We believe in this and, and we receive the forgiveness that Christ so freely and so lavishly and so unlimitedly offers to every one of us at great cost to himself. We receive this forgiveness and after that, we live as if the gospel ends there. We forget that faithfulness must follow forgiveness. We eagerly receive the gift of forgiveness, but we conveniently forget to live a life of faithfulness. Grace is a gift given to us, but it is also a trust that is assigned to us. Receiving faithfulness and receiving forgiveness and living out faithfulness go hand in hand. All through the New Testament, the apostles remind us that forgiveness is actually a ransom paid, a purchase made. Christ was the ransom. His death on the cross was the price that was paid to purchase us from the clutches of sin. The apostle Paul sums this up beautifully in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 22. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And Peter, the apostle Peter, describes this even more vividly in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 to 19. For you know that it is not with perishable things such as gold and silver, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Each of us, we unhesitatingly receive all of Christ given for us, but we mostly only give a little bit of ourselves to him. We forget. Maybe we don't forget. Maybe we just conveniently ignore that there are two parts to the gospel. We receive the gospel of grace as a gift given to us, but we so often conveniently ignore that this is also a trust given to us. Now it is required that those of you who have been given a trust must prove faithful. And that brings us to the second thing that we want to draw out from the passage this morning. What faithfulness actually looked like? What does it really look like? All that said, what does uh, being faithful to Christ really look like? What must I do? How must I live? What does it mean to be a good and a faithful follower of Jesus? You know, I've been wrestling this question for a good two to three months now. Uh, as a pastor, I'm called to build people in Christ. 
And so I've been wondering, what does someone who is fully built in Christ look like? What's the goal? What, what are we gunning towards? What are we running towards? What does the life of a follower of Jesus look like in, in the reality of the world that we live in? I've been thinking long and hard about it, and I've prayed that God would give me a picture, something that, that we can all connect with, we can all relate to, and actually move towards in grace and in and, and faith. And, and the best picture, best visual to represent this that, that I've been able to come up with is what I shared with us at our Vision Sunday a few weeks, uh, few weeks ago. And it's going to come up for us on, on, on the screen. And if you look at those, those concentric circles, there are three circles. At the core is renewal. Around renewal is what we call the flux, and then after that, engagement. I'm going to unpack each of this. The first thing I want to really unpack for us is renewal, daily, ongoing renewal. There are three non-negotiable pieces to this ongoing renewal for us to begin our life of faithfulness. The first is God's word. Why is reading and meditating on God's word consistently, if not daily, so important? Why is it at the heart of renewal in everyone's lives? There is a God who is, and there is a God we want him to be. And so the only place where we can really find the God who is and not the God we want him to be is through God revealing himself to us. And God reveals himself to us wholly only through his word by his spirit. So if we're not going to give ourselves joyfully to, to a fairly consistent and regular, if not daily, process of reading, meditating, praying through, and coming under God's word, if, we not, if you're not going to do that, it's just a question of time before we all drift away from the God who is and start worshiping a God we want him to be. Without the Bible, it's just a question of time before we develop an untrue and distorted understanding of God. And so, so we just make God, shape God in the way we want him to be as opposed to worshiping God for who he really is. And so for renewal and for us to live a life of faithfulness, we've got to give ourselves to God's word. This is not easy. Now, I want to share a couple of things just from my own journey. Uh, my, I became a follower of Jesus when I was 1990, in the year 1993. And for about 10 years till 2003, I was just floating around, uh, uh, pretending to be zealous for God sometimes, sometimes genuinely deceiving myself that I was zealous for God. Uh, and all those 10 years, I, I had absolutely no discipline of, of reading God's word. God was who I wanted him to be. And I, I would just suit him and it just mend him to the, what is convenient for me. But something changed in God's grace in 2003 onwards. And as I began to kind of, in his grace, develop this discipline of, of really spending time with God's word daily, I saw my life 
begin to change dramatically. Now, that doesn't mean that every morning when I wake up and, and, and pick up my Bible, uh, I'm excited. Uh, there are days uh, when I am bored. There are days when I'm distracted. There are many days when I'm sleepy. Uh, there are many, many, many days where, where what I'm reading, I, I don't feel like reading it. So many days like that. And yet, as we humbly, joyfully, lovingly, give ourselves to this love discipline, we will see God begin to change our lives. So that's the first piece of renewal, God's word. The second piece is God's spirit, God's Holy Spirit. God's spirit and God's word, word always work together. It is the Holy Spirit who inspired the Bible. The Holy Spirit over 1,500 to 1,600 years inspired about 35 to 40 different men to actually write different chapters of the Bible. If you look at the history of how the Bible came together, it began with, with a man named Moses who, who wrote the first five books of the Bible. And it ended with John, the disciple of Christ, who, who wrote the book of Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible. So from Genesis, the first book, which Moses wrote, all the way to uh, Revelation, which John wrote, there were 45, 35, to, sorry, 35 to 40 different authors who wrote different books of the Bible over a period of 1,500 to 1,600 words. It was the Holy Spirit who was inspiring each of this, these men. And not only was the Holy Spirit inspiring each of these men, over 1,500 years, the Holy Spirit was working in the lives of the people of Israel, and all of these men in weaving the Bible together to the form in which it is given to us now. Let me ask a simple question. Having labored to produce the Bible for us over 1,500 years, do you think the Holy Spirit is going to bypass the Bible and speak to you and me directly? He's going to speak to us through the Bible, 1,500 years of laboring to give us the Bible. So God's Spirit and God's Word always work together. And third is God's community. As we come together like this to worship Jesus together, as we give ourselves to faithful teaching of God's Word, to, to church life, to loving one another, to serving one another joyfully, and as we catch up during the week, midweek, in whatever context, and as we live on mission together, that's what a life of faithfulness looks like. That's the beginning of a life of faithfulness. That's the first piece of what a life of faithfulness looks like, renewal. The second thing I'm going to jump to is, is engagement. A life of faithfulness doesn't uh, begin and end with what we do in the church or our own personal Bible reading in the morning or evening or in our own time of prayer. A life of faithfulness extends to how we are engaging with the world, whether it's our friendships, whether it's sexuality, whether it's how we handle money, whether how we live in society, whether it's how we engage with the poor and the exploited or our careers, how we engage with our careers. In all of those engagement with the world, we're called to live a life of faithfulness. What does faithful engagement with the world really look like? First, 
all that we do, we do for God's glory. A career becomes a way in which we build God's kingdom here on earth and not just our own kingdom. Second, we give ourselves through our engagement with the world in different aspects to renewing, to seeing the world renewed by the love of Christ Jesus. And so that's the second layer of what a life that is faithful to Christ Jesus looks like. The third layer between renewal and engagement is a layer called flux. And we've been reflecting on this word called flux for, for a fair amount of time. Flux is any place of uncertainty or tension or disorientation that draws us to a deeper dependence on Christ Jesus. When there is faithful renewal and when there is faithful engagement with the world, we will experience flux because the world is at war with Christ. And as we live as ambassadors of Christ in the world, there is going to be tension. Whether it's in your workplace, whether it's your neighborhood, of course we will have several moments of joy and, 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 and uh, co commonality, celebrating commonality with the world around us. We will have that. We must have that. But if we only have that and if we are not experiencing any tension whatsoever, then we have become one with the world. We are not called to be one with the world. We are not called to isolate from the world. We are called to be in the world, but not of it. So flux is very real. And our response to the flux is not to bury it, not to run away from it, not to ignore it, but to use the flux, to allow God to use the flux to refine our faithfulness. Flux is the place where our faithfulness is tested and refined. And so that's, that's the best picture. That's the, most, that's the best description that I could come up with of what a life that is faithful to Christ Jesus looks like. Let me, let me just say this from my own experience. As we humble ourselves... As we give ourselves to Christ in these faithful, small steps of love and obedience, Christ will lift us up. I have not met a single person in my life, anyone who's loved Christ, who's been faithful to Christ, whom God has not honored. And so through 2022 and beyond, we're going to be staying with this chart. We'll probably develop it. As, as, you know, as things become more clearer to us, as God reveals more things to us. But we want to stay with this picture of what a faith, life of a faithful disciple or follower of Christ looks like. And that brings us to the third and the last thing we want to look at this morning. Why we all slip up in our faithfulness and are cure for it. Why are we so, every one of us, myself first, why do we keep slipping up from living a life of faithfulness? The answer, again, is right there in the passage we are looking at today. For want of time, I have not, I'm not really unpacking 
the full and original context in which this passage was written, all we're going to have time for is just a quick two to three sentence summary. One of the reasons that Paul wrote this letter to the church at Corinth, uh, one of the reasons he wrote this specific passage, is that there were divisions that were beginning to emerge in the church. As we read from the passage, some said, I follow Paul. Some said, no, I follow Apollos. And some said, no, I follow Peter. And so to address these divisions in the church, Paul wrote uh, this letter to the church at Corinth saying, no man is so special and each person, each leader is merely being faithful to the trust of the gospel that, that God has given to him, given to them. And he wrote a couple of sentences which really bring this truth home. We read that uh, this morning in the passage. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? What do we have that we did not receive from Christ? What are we that God has not made me to be? What am I that God has not made me to be? And in this, in this portion, Paul is calling us to see that the single biggest reason for our unfaithfulness, the single biggest reason for your unfaithfulness and mine, Paul is helping us see, is an inflated view of ourselves. An inflated view of ourselves. Every notion of unfaithfulness arises when we, when we wrongly believe that we have accomplished something by ourselves in our own strength, when the truth is that everything we have accomplished is a gift from God to us. You see, if, if, we, if we are really acknowledging, if we really, really acknowledge that all that we have done and all that we are is a gracious gift from God, we have every reason to be grateful and faithful. But if we start seeing ourselves as special and significant in our own strength, and we start seeing uh, the things that we have accomplished as things we have done in our own strength, then there is no reason to be faithful. The single biggest reason we all slip in our faithfulness to Christ is an inflated view of ourselves. Here's the thing. It's very hard to realize we're all walking around with an inflated view of ourselves. It's really hard to realize. And in the rare moments when we do realize we are walking around with an inflated view of ourselves, we don't have the guts to acknowledge it. We're not ready to acknowledge it. It's even harder to really humble ourselves and come before Christ in repentance. And because it's so hard to to see this in ourselves, I'm, I'm going to help us with a very simple diagnostic tool. 
which each of us can apply to our own hearts to, to, to find out, to see if we are really walking around with an inflated view of self. And it's a very simple diagnostic. How are you scoring in your faithfulness to Christ? That picture that I just gave you. How are we scoring in our faithfulness to Christ? If we are scoring low in our faithfulness to Christ, I can assure you we're walking around with an inflated view of ourselves. If, on the other hand, we, you know, renewal engagement, if you, when, when we feel, yes, I'm kind of growing this faithfulness slower, slowly, then I can assure you that you're walking around with a more realistic view of yourself. And I'm walking around with a more realistic view of myself. Faithfulness to Christ and an inflated view of self, of our own self, are two opposites. We are living here or the other. There is no middle ground, really. And when we have an inflated view of ourselves, it is really hard to be faithful to God. We're not standing on Christ our rock. We are standing on the strength of our career or our personality or our finances or our success or our skills or our talents. And that's the cold, hard truth. The single biggest reason we're not faithful is we have an inflated view of ourselves. Let me share one more truth on this before we close with what's the cure for our unfaithfulness. One more truth. And this is important. Mere success is not evidence of faithfulness. Mere success is not evidence of faithfulness. Not all successful people are faithful. Success in our careers, even success in ministry, does not necessarily mean we are faithful. I don't want to mention names, but we all know extremely successful Christian leaders. And it turned out that they were not faithful at all. Not for one year, not for two years, not for three years. It turned out that they were not faithful at all for a period of 20, 30 years. And yet, they were successful. Mere success is not a reflection of faithfulness. The passage we read again clearly warns us against mistaking success for faithfulness. Look at uh, chapter, verse 5 in the same passage that we read. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. The true measure of faithfulness is going to be revealed when Christ comes again. Only when Christ comes again. Worldly success does not necessarily mean faithfulness. It's wrong, it's wrong to assume that successful people around us are also faithful. But that's, that's the point I'm trying to make is not about others. The point I'm trying to make is about ourselves. We must not confuse our success with faithfulness. 
I see a room full of successful people. I see a room full of overachievers. I see a room full of people who are in the top 1% or even less of the 1.4 billion people in this country. Slice it whichever way you want. We are in the 1% elite population in India. May we not mistake our success for our faithfulness. May we not confuse success and faithfulness. We are all, we are all vulnerable to have a in our minds, so-called successful engagement with the world, miss out on a life of renewal and assume, wrongly assume, we are faithful. Mere success does not necessarily mean faithfulness. And as this verse is calling us to see, our faithfulness will be evaluated, revealed, rewarded, not here and now, but as this verse tells us, when Christ comes again, Every motive of the heart will be laid bare, tested, and rewarded. The single biggest reason we're not faithful to Christ is we have an inflated view of ourselves. So what is the cure? How, how, how can we be healed from this curse? The problem here is that each of us have exalted ourselves a whole lot more than what we really are. And the solution to this problem of an inflated view of self is a God who humbled himself a whole lot more than what he is so that we can be forgiven and healed of our sin of pride. The core problem we've been wrestling with is this. Man has puffed himself up. You and I, we have puffed ourselves up. And the solution to that problem, the solution to that sin, is that Christ emptied himself for our sake. You see the beauty and, and the healing irony of the gospel. You and I, and every single one of us, we are walking around with an inflated view of ourselves. And so Christ Jesus, the Son of God, he emptied himself, took on the lowly form of a man. He stooped down to wash our feet, the feet of his disciples, so that we might learn humility and faithfulness from him. Christ lowered himself even to a shameful death on a cross so that we can be forgiven and healed of our inflated view of ourselves. As Paul says in another, in another letter to the Corinthian church, for our sake, God made Christ to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Because we pretended, we pretend to be more accomplished than we really are. Christ descended to the lowest level of being made sin itself. He carried all our sins upon himself. And he was punished in our place so that we could be forgiven and healed of our pride. And so this is the cure 
to our unfaithfulness. When we see Christ made low for us, we are cured from every need to inflate ourselves. The more we see Christ in his humility and his faithfulness, the more we grow in our faithfulness. Would you join with me in praying that every single one of us, we will grow in our faithfulness to Christ in 2022 and beyond. Father, we come before you, Lord, repenting. As I look at my own life, so many thoughts in so many conversations, how much I'm walking around with an inflated view of myself. And if this is who I am, why, why would I be faithful to God? Because I'm believing I've accomplished all of this. And so, Lord, each of us, we see our sin and we come before you in humble repentance, Lord. Heal us, Lord Jesus, from the sin of pride and having an inflated view of ourselves that we might grow in being faithful to you. Lord, every one of those uh, processes of faithfulness, renewal, engagement, Lord, would you help us, every one of us, grow in this every single day. Help us, Lord, that we might bring glory to our King Christ Jesus by living a life of faithfulness just as your Son, Lord Jesus. He brought glory to the Father by living a life of faithfulness. Help us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.